welcome uh, to In The Loop. This is Beth Davis. I'm here with Chad Beyer from whiteboardconsulting.org. Chad, welcome. Hi. <laughs> yeah, it's good to see you and good to hear your voice again. I um, We met back in September up at scrum.org headquarters, and what I remember about you was the enthusiasm you showed when we started to talk about organizational culture in, in HR and that you just seem to have a lot of fun. So maybe tell me, uh, tell me a little bit about how you got to today and, and why you love what you do. Sure. And, and before I do that, I, I'm glad you used the word enthusiasm. I'm glad that's the way it comes across. Cause in my mind, uh, I feel like every year that ticks by, I'm becoming like the cranky old man on the porch that's yelling about things <laughs> and, and organizational culture and management hierarchies is one of those topics that I'm always like, ranting about. So I'm glad that you used the, the positive word enthusiasm when, when you heard me, uh, from my perspective, ranting about those topics. So No, absolutely. I think maybe we're kindreds in that self-assessment, but uh, no, I, I take it as enthusiasm because I think that's what I want people to get from me too. So, but I definitely got enthusiasm. So yeah, tell me, uh, you're in uh, Wisconsin uh, right now. Is that right? Yes. Born and raised in Wisconsin. Uh, I actually grew up on a dairy farm, so I'm not going to tell my whole life story. That's <laughs> sounding like I'm going to get long-winded. Um, but yeah, so uh, I guess part of that was I did grow up with somewhat of a hard work ethic and uh, growing up on a farm. You know, everyone chips in. I always joke that uh, farmers kind of are the original agilists because they're dealing with complex adaptive systems. And the family on the farm is kind of a cross-functional team. You know, you're multi-skilled. You pitch in whenever you need to. So I have a lot of from my childhood that I'm only now realizing as I'm in this space, in this industry that I can pull from. But, you know, uh, basically my professional uh, life, I started out actually as computer science um, and then halfway through college thought, oh, this isn't for me. And I switched to get a business degree. But then after school, I still ended up programming for years. Mm -hmm. um, so Java programming and things like that, web development. And then I, I eventually ended up going into more soft skill roles, business analysis, project management. And I always say it in talks I give that those were kind of some dark days of my career. Um, there were some positives, of course. Like best, worst space. experience you ever had kind of thing or? Yeah, you know, mostly in the project management space because it was, again, I was trying to uh, fit a mold that I didn't, I didn't fit in. And, and I don't think software development projects really fit in, in somewhat of a phase-gated project management approach. So anyway, long-winded, that was, that was a rough part of my career. And that led me to getting out um, and, and jumping into this, this unknown space of consulting. Mm -hmm. which Again, realized, I think consulting is something that you can't do right out of school, but you need some like some battle scars over the years. Yeah. And, uh, which is, which you, is kind of frustrating, right? Cause when you're younger, I remember someone telling me, you know, you, you, you want to do these things. You want to help a lot of companies, but you're 24 at the time and, and get a little gray hair. And it used to really bother me. And, and hearing you say that though, it, it is true because once you get those battle scars, you, you can relate, I think better to your clients because you've actually walked in their shoes. It's not just theoretical. Yeah. I, I feel like my, I can make a bigger impact telling my, my stories of not doing things right versus just spewing out conceptual knowledge on how things could be right for people. So uh, not to cut anybody who enters consulting at a young age, because I've seen some amazing people. I'm always blown away. Like, Oh, you're just out of school. How did you get to be so amazing? Right. So yeah. Um, yeah. this is just my story. But anyway, that's, that's <laughs> what got me to hear, you know, 
on the scrum side of things, I, I, uh, I was introduced to scrum in 2005. Mm-hmm. Um, I was on a team and then I sort of went down this path of climbing the corporate ladder and then eventually realized this isn't for me climbing the corporate ladder. And that's when I kind of exited the corporate scene of fortune 500 companies and, uh, sort of rediscovered scrum by seeing Ken Schwaber speak at an event in Milwaukee around 2011, 2012, I believe it was. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And the rest is history. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, 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 I'm going to go back for a second. So I uh, love the application of scrum to life on a farm. And it's, and it's interesting, and, it, and I'm not joking about it. It's true, right? I think when I learned myself about scrum and agile and you know, started to really understand what the, the, the intentions were, I thought, well, like, well, wait a minute, that's, that makes sense for life. Um, and I, I feel like what's been cool about um, meeting folks like you and others is this idea that it's it, the intentionality behind the mindset and the feelings that we get in working in these ways with other people to do something um, valuable or innovative, whether it's in product or, or you know, in running a business, I just think that whole person mindset and seeing people as equal contributors is one of those things that, you know, drew me into this world. And then when I got to meet folks like you and others who are really, you, you know, you describe yourself as a boat rocker and a change agent and someone who's pressuring in a positive way for change. And I think it's because you care about people. And, and I think um, maybe leaning into that a little bit, you know, maybe talk about why this all matters to you you know, why yeah. do you care to spend your time doing this work? Yeah, thanks. That, that's a great question. Why does this matter to me? Uh, because I just have a chip on my shoulder. No, <laughs> um, it, is, it is kind of a care for people. I, I, I've seen one advantage you get as an outside change agent is you, well, and especially in a consultant, it, ideally I can get up to the C-suite, but mm-hmm. I also can build rapport down at team levels. Mm-hmm. And, and so I have this luxury as this outside change agent of sort of seeing what's really going on in the organization, not just one view from one uh, end of the hierarchy. And what I've found over the years and, and read from other experts over the years is the same thing in that um, there's an illusion of command and control actually working effectively in a knowledge work economy. Uh, and so what pains me is when I see upper levels of a hierarchy in an organization thinking that what they're doing is really, really making an impact, right? With good intentions, Mm -hmm. only to hear a water cooler conversation from someone down at the team level, completely checked out, disengaged, living up to that, you know, that sad statistic that 85 or some whatever percent of workers are actively disengaged in the workplace, right? Right. That's not to say everybody is, is checked out at work, but you know, there's a good portion. And I, I've seen direct, I've had direct conversations with people uh, where that's come out. So, so I think the reason I'm, I've said this in my Boat Rockers uh, toolkit talk I've done in the past. The reason I always am, am interested in change is probably selfish. It's out of frustration. Mm-hmm. I normally want to change something because I'm frustrated by something. I think this is why startup companies uh, build awesome products, right? Someone sees a gap in the world and they're like, I don't like that. That drives me crazy. I'm going to do something about that. And that's kind of how I feel about, you know, being a change agent with organizations. So these words like human resources, and even today preparing for this, I just went out and and Googled what's 
the definition. Sometimes I just go back to the real core of the word. And I wasn't happy with the definition I got, you know? Yeah. So, so I like to deconstruct these words and maybe entertain the idea of like, if not now in 2020, when is the time that we're going to actually start to change some of this verbiage? You know, maybe I'll throw that back to you and see what yeah, your thoughts are. Uh, you're like hitting on my passion point. So I, um, for the, for the 20 years that I've been in and around uh, companies and in HR roles, it's, it's funny. I, I started my career 1999. So do the math, everyone. Um, but I joined a company that was uh, progressive at the time and we were called people development back then. And I um, naively uh, myself growing up very rural, two doors up from a small cow farm, actually, uh, you know, didn't, didn't have context for what, human resources was, or even the business world was. And so getting into a company early days that was very much about people development and the fact that we wanted to collaborate with others and create uh, the right practices and processes to make people want to work with us and, and having organizational values that to this day, I still can recite them, you know, honesty, courage, graciousness, respect, fairness, and, and they mattered. And I think what, what I, what has happened and like you said, with words, like words matter. And this idea of humans as resources, you know, I, you talk about getting upset. I get very uh, vocal when, you know, someone says something like, you know, hey, I don't have the resources for that project or that work. And I'll look at them and say, you know, I hope you mean computers or um, desk supplies or money. I hope you're not talking about people. And, and, peop and I'm usually in the lead HR type role and they look at me like, Oh, oh no. Um, but I think to your point, you know, if not now, when, because for 20 years, even in, in, in HR, they've been talking ad nauseum about let's be strategic, you know, let's get our seat at the table. And, and my slightly disruptive boat rocking attitude has been just sit down, <laughs> you know, and, and let's have these conversations. And I think what, what you touched on is there is a bit of this good intentions Right. I do believe, you know, that humans are, are resourceful um, and yet structure, you know, dictates our culture. And I know you've done some, some talks about that. So maybe let's talk about less about the words, but more about the structures that, that we've created and how uh, these structures that we've put in place maybe have dictated culture that none of us actually really want. Yeah. Awesome. Um... So most of that organizational structure content that I pull from is when I discovered systems thinking. Mm -hmm. uh, Peter, Peter Sengate's Fifth Discipline was my introductory to that. And then uh, uh, a lot of writing by Craig Larman really led me down that path too. So systems thinking, um, really, I'll, I'll even quote one of Larman's Laws of Organizational Behavior. And I always encourage people to go Google that. Uh, Larman's Laws of Organizational Behavior. Uh, the Fifth Law is culture follows structure. Mm -hmm. And so I, uh, again, everything I, I complain about, I ha I know people have good intentions. So I hope this doesn't come across that I'm, I'm, I'm angry about that, that. But I think too much of the talk around change management, even the word management inside of change, right? There's a whole industry and career around change management. Uh, I think too much of it is focused on changing hearts and minds. And and what management uh, really needs to be focused on uh, is changing the structure of the organization. That's policies, procedures, things like that, incentive structures. 
so, so what are those structures? So I, I was trying to really break this down, uh, looking at some talks that I haven't built yet and looking at some talks I've given. Um, and, and I look at it as really a simple structure. You have a bubble that holds the organization, the inside of the organization. And then you have essentially doors on the end that allow people in to participate in that bubble and people to be exited out, right? So, so that's hiring and firing in traditional terms. And someone has to decide that. But beyond that, everything else that management, quote unquote, should be doing is, is really inside that organization. If, you know, and maybe they need to take care of the hiring and firing as well. Back to changing the words, I would love at this point in 2020 for us to really, someone to be bold and say, we don't call our human resources department human resources anymore. We don't call management management anymore. Because again, the definition of that word I looked up, management. The processing with or controlling things or people. Mm. So all I see is the word control and constrain just blanketed across management in a, in a hierarchical organization. Yeah. What if we were to, what if we were to propose a new term called like organizational support services? Because mm-hmm. really, if you're if you're truly embracing kind of the future of servant leadership and flipping the org chart upside down, where the people in management are really supporting the people doing the work, you're you're just there for support services. Yeah, it's uh, what you're talking about is is really important. I um as as someone who does work in ser- servant and serving leadership, one of the things that is is most important and and the true marker of someone who is leading that way is that you know one are people getting better, stronger. Um, because of your leadership, and then are they more likely to do that for others? And so, what's interesting about what you just said is, is um, you know, it's funny back to like people or people development or services. I, I do think this idea of um, at one point, you know, I don't, I'm not being articulate for a second here. I, I really think about, you know, it's not just HR, it's not just finance or supply chain or marketing. It's, it's, it's business, right? And I feel like everyone has responsibility to understand the full picture of business and that, that we kind of have siloed ourselves over the last 20 years to create these specialties and for all really good reasons, right? Because some, some things do require specialization, right? Like I'm, I'm the last person you want touching code, um, in, in a piece of software. Like I just, I don't (laughs) have the capabilities and it's not what I'm good at. And yet, um, leading your life and, and kind of functioning as an adult kind of takes this, you know, if you think about it, you do finance in your home life, uh, you do people stuff in your home life, and, and I think deconstructing the organizational structures to allow more people to take ownership of that is, is important. And, and the other thing you, you hit on is this idea of um, control. And I, I do think, especially when I've worked with companies who are shifting into not only using Scrum, for delivery, but also embracing the mindsets and principles of transparency and adaptive planning, uh, the control piece does get in the way from a performance standpoint. And I think a lot of that has to do with one, uh, people's, and all of us, right? People's uh, insecurities, right? A little bit of fear of what happens if this goes bad, because my identity is uh, based on my job title or level. And, and two, you talked earlier about complaints, right? And I, I do some work in um, uh, behavioral teaming and things like that. And one of the things that we talk about is when someone has a big complaint about something, there's usually something that really matters to them behind it. And, and this idea of 
people feeling caught up in uh, structure and control and they want to complain about it. Well, why? It's, it's because I actually want to contribute. And, and do you think that maybe in your experience working with teams, once you can get past that, you really see people kind of bring their whole person into, into their work? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think those, con- those constraints and those controls are also put on the 5%. There's 95% of your, your employee, uh, employment or uh, employees, I guess, workforce that don't need those constraints, but we, what we manage to the 5%. And I think that cripples organizations uh, when it comes to organizational agility, right? Which is what I'm trying to help organizations with. Uh, maybe again, this is what's driving most of my passion for this. Um, so, so yeah, the, you know, the, the complaints uh, I see as conflict as well. I don't think you need a manager to report to, using the verbiage we use ubiquitously around the world. I don't think we need a management to, or a manager to report to to help us with conflict. There are examples in, in books like Reinventing Organizations yes. where companies are actually, they're, they're keeping that as an independent function. Yes, we embrace that this organization is made up of human beings people and we will have conflict but we don't need a reporting structure for that what we need is an outside service a support service organizational support service oss that's my new brand i'm going like to push that. out okay yeah oss oss <laughs> comes in and they help with that conflict resolution and it's not even again it's not sweeping conflict under the rug it's actually it's re- it's mining for conflict because if you don't deal with conflict in an organization it again it's like catching a disease yeah um yeah. Just like, just like when that, that phrase, you, you are what you eat, your human body yeah. organization through who they hire and fire that, that makes up the health of your organization. Right. And so management, again, back to maybe some of Deming's uh, words, Edward Deming around management, mm-hmm. your job is to manage the structure, the process, the system, the, the system of humans, not manage the people uh, yes. individually. Right. So really organizational health comes down to what management will tolerate uh is the immune system the culture i'm I'm sticking with my analogy here is the immune system of that organization strong enough that when someone who is hired from the outside is like a virus will management be courageous and and i guess aware enough to realize we need to exit this virus before it becomes a bigger problem, right? Yeah. And I think too many organizations are so afraid to exit people and and really focus on organizational health mm-hmm. that they just get stuck. And and I think that's most of organizations today. They're just stuck in, yep, we have managers and human resources and this is just how big organizations behave. Yeah. And I don't I don't believe that's true. Yeah, and I don't <laughs> think it needs to persist. Yeah. You you know, and it's interesting you lean into then you talk about hiring. You know, I um the advocacy I have for hiring is, you know, the people that are going to work with these folks um, have to be part of the process. And it continues to blow my mind that, um, and, and, and we've done this, right? We've created these uh, processes to make hiring more efficient and we do assessments to weed people out. And, and you kind of get back to the basics of saying, well, wait a minute, what if the five or six of us that are going to work with this person actually you know, get to meet all the people that are interested in the process and, and create a structure where we can 
filter out um, people who aren't values aligned, right? And I've, I've worked in a couple of places where we spend most of the interview not talking about your competence or what you've done. It's more, you know, hey, we've got these organizational values. Which one of them really speaks to your heart? You know, uh, which, which of your personal values actually is most important to you and how can we make sure that you get to live that out in the workplace? And, and it seems, again, it seems common sense and yet we've created some environments and I think that's where the work that I'm doing is about how do we start to deconstruct policies and practices and procedures and, and also create ones with others, right? So using uh, frameworks like Scrum to actually run projects like I, I just did one recently with let's rewrite policies in, in a handbook and not have anybody from the quote unquote HR team except for maybe like one or two people with subject matter expertise on laws, um, the, the, that stuff. Um, but otherwise, like what what's our policy? And, and let's have team members and, and people who are going to actually have to be accountable to them, write them. And, and it was great because what happened was you got a lot of people's fingerprints on it. And it kind of comes back to that comment I made that last I checked, most of us are adults, um, at least legally based on our age. And yet in our workplaces, we do sometimes create these conditions where it doesn't make it easy. So, so maybe Chad, one thing I'd want to ask you is um, particularly focused on the work you're doing with Scrum. And when you start to see um, people wanting to shift into using the frameworks, um, this, the role of product owner, um, the role of the scrum master, how are you, uh, maybe what are some practical things for our listeners to say, you know, if you're getting started or you're experienced using scrum and you're starting to bump up against some of these things we've just been talking about for the last, you know, 20 minutes, what, what are some practical things that you would offer them as, as, you know, encouragement so that they don't yeah. give up? Yeah, uh, I like your example of an HR, you know, uh, kind of using Scrum and treating your, like, who's your customer? Your customer is the people in the organization, the employees, right? So, so I think that's a great example. That, that's what I would encourage. I do this with a lot of Scrum teams. Um, and I had an HR department at a client this last year in 2019 actually um, come to Scrum training and start to use Scrum for the work they're doing. So I, I would go right back to that organizational support services. Um, practical on the ground advice, I, I would, let's say I'm talking to the director or VP of an HR department. I would say, imagine that you, you weren't just employed by this organization as human resources director, but you actually uh, were a startup organizational support services company and you were right across the street, but you were going to sell your services to this organization. What would, how would you change the way you behave, right? How would you change the way you talk about the value you bring? Um, and again, I think, I mean, you're, you're making this easy for me. Your example is exactly what I propose. Like, go talk to your customers. Go to the employees of that organization and find out how can you make their lives um, better from a person standpoint, from, you know, taking care of people, uh, providing a healthy work environment, uh, but also make them more effective because I'm also, you know, I'm not, I, I hope I'm not conveying to people that I'm just like, uh, I've mocked in the past this, this kind of myth of like agile hippiness, like <laughs> agile, agile's all about just retrospectives and we're just going to get together and hold hands and improve. Right. And, <laughs> and I think there's a, there's a sliver of the agile community that, that that's persisted. Right. But I'm, I'm pretty cutthroat. Like I get what running a business is. You have yeah. to manage a profit and loss statement and 
Uh, I don't have employees, but I'm well aware of all the, the legal and, and the employment law that you, you mentioned, right? Uh, not an expert, but aware of it. So I think that's the balance. You have to, as an expert in that, right? You are selling organizational support services to the organization. You're selling that we are the experts in making sure you're not going to break any laws, but we're going to do whatever we can to make sure that your customers, the employees of this organization, are healthy, happy, whatever word we want to use there, and effective for the organization. Because yes, there is a real payroll cost. We're paying them. We're, we're, we're supporting their household. And in exchange, we need them to provide some value for this organization, right? Yeah. Now, ideally, you hire people who believe in the purpose of that organization. But I've come around on my hiring for purpose uh, uh, talk, I guess, that, that it's, not, um, it's not realistic that we can have everybody in the world just purely working for purpose. I, sure. I don't know if that's realistic. Sure. Uh, so sometimes you have to say, you have a skill set. We're going to pay you for that skill set. But as an employer of people, we're going to make sure we, we do what's, what's, what we know is the right way to help people as an employee in 2020 and beyond. And I, yeah. I, again, I think we're, we're hanging on to industrial revolution uh, management thinking. Yeah. And, 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 you know, there's an interesting, gosh, you've said so much that I want to, that I want to go I back. Know, to. Sorry. I got off on a no, rant there. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Um, you know, I think for our listeners, one, some of the things you're hitting on are, you know, one thing you hit on that's this, this perception of what being, being agile is versus doing agile and, and these things of scrum. And, and it's interesting. I've talked to a lot of folks that, um, you know, I say that it's, it's, it's there. Yes, there are frameworks. Yes, there are, tools, right? Yes, there are uh, methodologies that help you become agile and do agile. And, and yet there's so much more to it. There's mindsets and, and behavioral things. And, and what's funny about what you said about the, you know, let's, let's kind of make everybody happy and do retrospectives and, and play games and all this stuff that it's not real work. Um, you know, I think there's an aspect of demystifying that for people to say, but what if we did lighten up a little bit at work? And what if we did create the environment where it's okay to talk about the things that are working, but also like get into the hard things? Um, that's the that's the moneymaker, I feel like, for this work that we do, because it, otherwise it's just another process to control. And I, I often talk about, um, you know, when you, you can do Scrum, you can use Kanban, you can use these methodologies in a hierarchical kind of top-down organization. What you usually will get, though, is what, what I say is, you know, better sameness, just faster, um, <laughs> as opposed yeah, to like the, yeah. true, the true change where we get people who are engaged and empowered. And, and, and I think that word engagement is loaded too, because it's not just about making everyone happy, you know, and, and, and making everyone feel like, you know, the free beer on, on Fridays and flip-flops whenever you feel like it is, is engagement. What, what it's really about is you hit on it, motivation. And if I can feel good about my choice to share my time and my talents with your company, um, and I contribute as a good citizen and I'm part of uh, leading change, right? We're not managing change, but we're leading change and, and doing good things with and for other people. That's pretty good. That's, that, that to me is purpose-driven work regardless of industry. And if then that affects your home life in a positive way and your community in a positive way, I feel like that to me is what, what ultimately drew me to the, the Scrum 
framework, but also the agile community, because it's, it's not just, you know, puppies and unicorns. It's really about, uh, productivity, contribution, uh, doing good work, and then actually enjoying it. You know, like work doesn't have to suck. And I, I think that, um, some of us, myself included, maybe forgot that along our journeys. So I, I, the things yeah. that you're talking about, I think are important. So, so maybe one last thing I, I want to, uh, lean into with you before we end for, for today's, uh, chat. Cause I think we, we're going to have you back chat and, and, uh, talk more about a lot of things. Um, but you, uh, I know for a fact, bring the fun to the work that you do. And I, I recently watched a scrum parody song that you did. Uh, and if anyone's <laughs> interested, you can check that out online. I also just shared it on LinkedIn, but you know, uh, I think culturally one of the things that helps organizations get healthier is allowing a little bit of fun at work. So maybe what, uh, what advice would you give to our listeners about kind of being yourself and, and bringing the fun into our workplaces? <laughs> yeah. You know, um, I, I think it's, that's a tough question for me to answer because I, I, I'll, I'll give you my authentic response. I think what I'm doing there with having fun is selfish. Uh, I, so I run my own company. I don't have to ask permission to do something like that. And actually people I work closely with like Jeff Buwals, um, another professional scrum trainer um, that, I, that I do a lot of training with. He's, he's like my personal life coach. Uh, and he, he's always nudging me to do things that are a bit outside my comfort zone. So I've gone down this path of posting some of these silly parody songs that I've, you know, I come up with from time to time uh, because he's just nudging me beyond my comfort zone. Now, I think I posted a comment on, on the, uh, the recent post because the song I did was smells like scrum spirit. It's like a, <laughs> it it's like a parody good. on Nirvana's uh, uh, smells like teen spirit. And yeah, I, it's therapeutic for me, right? Mm -hmm. Like some people get a lot of uh, a good feeling, like going to the gym and working out. And I, I like to stay active as well, but music for me has always been kind of an outlet, a creative outlet that just like, if I come home and I just like scream at the top, I'm not screaming at the top of my lungs. It sounds like <laughs> death metal, but if I'm sing <laughs> sitting at the piano and I'm just like, singing right it it's it's therapeutic for me it makes me feel very good um now doing that on stage in front of a bunch of people was a big step for me to start doing that i've been going to open mic nights for for several years now from time to time but i get nervous every time and and it always like it you know it's that good kind of anxiety that bubbles up inside of you um so long-winded why why yeah why do i i'm having fun at work quote unquote because i'm i run my own company and it's not like i have to have permission to post something on social media um but i'm getting nudges from people to do things like that yeah um but yeah i i think if you're having you know this comes back to one of my my core values uh of kind of authenticity and i discovered this early on when i entered consulting because i i i felt very like I couldn't fit the mold of a consultant because before I entered consulting, I thought consultants wore sports coats yeah. and they were like salesmen, right? They were fast talking salesmen. Just <laughs> let's, let's trick these people. And some consultants out there are that way still, but, but I, I realized that I don't have to fit that mold when I discovered mm -hmm. this, this concept of authenticity. Yeah. So 
why am I doing those things? Because I, I'm, I think I'm just bringing my authentic self uh, out to the world. I'm also a very private person. So another myth about authenticity is authenticity is not easy. Authenticity is actually hard for a lot of people because you are truly being yourself and that's extending vulnerability to the world. So, yeah. so every time I post one of those things, it's a bit therapeutic. It brings me some joy, but there's, there's a plenty of anxiety attached to it as well. Um, sure. Well, we thank I'm not sure if that's where you thought it. I was going to go with that answer. But. No, well, it's not. And that's the beauty of listening, uh, because when you listen uh, to, to truly understand where someone's going, it's amazing where people go, because you went somewhere totally different. And I, I love it, because, <laughs> and here's why I love where you went, because what you just described, uh, a couple things. Uh, one, it does take vulnerability. To be your authentic self, and and even for for me, you know, I I love to talk. If that's not surprising to anyone who knows me or or folks listening, I love to talk. And I thought, you know, what if I just did a podcast and got to talk to people that are really interesting? That's joyful for me. Um, and it does take some vulnerability to 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 record your voice and publicly put it out there for for opinion, and and yet you know, it's, it is joyful. And I, I think why I love your answer more than, more than that is what if we continue to make it okay in our workplaces for people to bring their full authentic self there. Right. And I spent far too long trying to fit the corporate mold myself and, you know, dress a certain way and speak a certain way and write a certain way. And, and yes, it got me to a certain level in my career. And yet I was downright miserable in my thirties because I wasn't being Beth. I was, I was being some version of me that wasn't real. And, and when I shed that and decided even, even before I was working in my own company, um, I wanted to be somewhere that it was okay to be me and, and then to lead the way and make it okay for others. And, and this thing about fun at work and asking permission is funny. I'll, I'll tell a fast story and then, and then we'll wrap up for today. Um, I had a woman who, who was a musician, actually, like yourself, and she um, was talking one day about uh, teaching kids to play the ukulele and, and, and teaching guitar lessons, and I just kind of overheard her, and I was in, you know, VP of people development, and she was a team member out on the floor, and I just popped out, and I was like, you know, I have ukulele at home, and I, I'm really bad at music, but it would be super fun to learn, like, do you do lessons? And she's like, yeah, but, you know, it's kind of hard to schedule, and, and I said, well, what if we just did it here at work? And she's like, well, doesn't someone have to, like, give us permission to do something like that? And I'm like, yeah, sure, fine, let's do it. And she's like, are you giving me permission? Don't, don't we have to get approvals? And I'm like, listen, like, post a flyer, we'll do, we'll find a conference room. If anyone wants to come, let's see what happens. And what happened, which was super cool from an engagement standpoint, is like five or six people showed up. And one day our CEO walks by and I'm sitting there like trying to do the ukulele. And he looks, he's like, what, what, like, what are you guys doing? And I'm like, we're having fun at work. And uh, he came in and was hanging out. And, and what happened then is people got wind of, hey, there was this ukulele thing. Uh, one guy was like, I want, I've always wanted to have like a debate club. Um, can I start a debate club here at work? And I was like, yeah, sure. You know, let's see what happens. And, and I think why I bring that up is we don't always need permission, but we need to know that it's okay. You know, and, and I think sometimes in work, we've decided that it's not supposed to be a place where you can have fun. So I think just yep. our conversation, Chad, you know, reminds me that it's good to be passionate for our listeners. It's good to care about something. 
it's good to challenge convention and then finding a place where you can be your authentic self is really the most, maybe the most important thing that, that is a takeaway for me from listening to uh, you talk today. So maybe any awesome. parting words, Chad, for our listeners. And then I just have a couple messages about our, our podcast and uh, we'll close out for today. My only parting words are, I say this every year, but this is going to air in 2020 now, right? So we yes. are, we are in 20. 20. We are entering the roaring 20s of agility, uh, of, of whatever. And I, I guess my, my call to action is anyone listening to this, if you are in any level of a hierarchy and organization or not, uh, what are you going to do in the next decade so that when we're having this conversation in 2030, we can talk about some of these things that we're proposing today as oh yeah, that actually happened in the next decade. Because I, I think it's the time is now, right? The world is moving faster than ever. And this illusion of command and control, I just, it, it, it's time for a change. Yeah. So that's my, that's my call to action. I love that. <laughs> the roaring 20s of Agile. So let's, uh, let's quote that for Chad uh, so that, that he gets the credit for that because I, I do love that very much. Chad, you know, just a pleasure to talk to you today. I uh, really love your enthusiasm. Um, for those of you listening, we do have the opportunity for you to not only give comments, but actually leave us a message, a voice message. If you uh, have anything to say about what Chad and I talked about, or if you have ideas about uh, things we should be talking about or would, would love to hear about, or if you actually want to participate, um, let me know. Cause it's, this is about getting diverse voices uh, from across the world who are interested in, in this work and, and doing good things for the world. Um, and last but not least, there is also an opportunity to sponsor us. Uh, we're a listener sponsored podcast. Uh, the intention behind that is, is not to put money in the loop uh, coffers. It's really to allow uh, people like me and others to have events and continue to bring people together who really care about um, creating amazing workplaces. So with that, Chad, have a great rest of your day. And for the rest of you, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>